I turn your attention this morning to Genesis 32, 24. Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24. I want to read several verses in your hearing this morning. I'll get right into it because I know you're standing. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. This referring to the angel, of course we know this is a, the Old Testament they referred to this as a theophany, which was God being manifest as a man. He touched the hollow of his thigh, referring to Jacob's thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. But notice the first part of 25, it says, and when he saw, when God saw that he prevailed not against Jacob. That's interesting. Verse 26, and he, referred to the Lord, said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he, referring to Jacob, said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. I want you to say that with me today. And hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Nile, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I'd like to speak this morning on this subject, when God lets you win. When God lets you win. Why don't we put our Bibles down and lift our hands right now, and let's ask God to be with us. Lord, we are so thankful for your presence, so thankful that we can come into your house and experience this wonderful move of the Holy Ghost. What a blessed people we are. Thank you, Lord, for this place of refuge. Thank you, Lord, for this place of worship. Thank you, Lord, for this place of redemption and salvation, Lord. We ask that you would anoint hearts and minds to receive your word and anoint these lips to speak your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I have personally always enjoyed uh, playing checkers. Uh, I learned how to play checkers when I was just a boy, and my grandfather uh, taught me uh, how to play checkers, and we would play checkers together for hours and hours. Of course, that was back in the day when you had an actual board and you had these little round discs, red and black, and you had to keep up with them all. And, and uh, you, you would play checkers and learn different moves and strategies. And, and my grandfather would always tell me different ways to do it. And I, I realized that checkers was something that was played sort of in the, in the past, but it's not really something that was big with my generation, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, I remember old, uh, some of you may remember Brother Jenkins, Brother Roger may remember there was a fellow that used to come to our church by the name of Brother Christoph. And you remember Brother Christoph. He was uh, an incredible man of God. Of course, he's since passed and gone on to be with the Lord. But Brother Christoph was uh, saved out of Bulgaria. He has an incredible testimony and he um, would love to play checkers. And he would stay in our home and we would play checkers, me and him, for hours and hours. I mean, we would play like 40 games of checkers. and It was just such a, a neat thing because 
Anytime I won, he would immediately just start putting the checkers back on the board as if there's no way we're going to end with you winning. And we would play and play and play. And it was just a great way to connect with some of these, these elders. And so, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal with my generation. But now my kids love to play checkers because you play checkers now on your iPhone. And I, I shouldn't tell you this. I don't want you to play for the next 30 minutes. But you play checkers on your iPad and you play checkers on your iPhone. And so on, uh, you know, different uh, occasions whenever my children and I are just sitting and waiting, you know, we'll play checkers together and uh, my boys you know I would play checkers on an app and and now my daughter and I uh, play checkers on um, the iPhone and I will occasionally let my daughter win in playing checkers and when I do my boys get very upset and they say dad you never let us win this is not preparing her for real life they're very concerned about this and I'm like, I know, but I let her win. And of course, because of that, she loves to play me in checkers. And I, they're probably right, but I have learned this from a biblical example. Because love will cause you to lose on purpose. Do you really think that God could not have beat Jacob in a wrestling match? But the Word of God says that Jacob prevailed. God let him win a wrestling match. What are we to learn from that? Because I believe that there are times, in fact, I know that there are times that God has let me win. And there's times that God has let you win. So there's some principles that I would like to extract from this. The first one is this. He, referring to God, is a heavenly father that just knows when you need a win. He knows when you need a win. Jacob was in that place. He had suffered a lot of defeat. He, he thought he had won the battle of wits with his twin brother when he tricked his father, Isaac, out of the birthright. But then he had to leave the camp and he had to run for his life. And, and he was on his way to try to find some relatives up in the Syria area. God met him and gave him a vision of angels going up and down a ladder and said, I'll be your God. If you serve me, and God gave him a win. That dream was a win. That affirmation that he wasn't going to be by himself was a win. There's something about when you get at the end of your rope that the God of glory, who's never lost one battle, will allow you to have a win and let you know it's going to be okay. Amen. Jacob got up from that. He made an altar and dedicated that place and traveled on and came to a well and there were some beautiful girls that were out there and they were trying to get some water out of the wells and these shepherds that were kind of rude were kind of, you know, muscling around and hogging the wells and Jacob came in there and stood up for these girls and allowed them to get water and so forth and they were so appreciative of that, they invited him home to meet their dad. Another win another win. So Jacob goes to meet their dad who just happens to be Uncle Laban. Yeah, that was the uncle he was looking for. It wasn't long and Jacob was in love with Rachel, Laban's daughter. 
Uncle tells him, if you'll work for me for seven years, you can marry her. Jacob liked that plan, I guess. Maybe he didn't like it, but he worked for seven years. I like it. In fact, I think I'm going to incorporate that plan into my own family. I'm going to have the same requirement. You want to marry Sophia? You work at First Pentecostal Church for seven years, and we'll see how legit you are. I can only say this when she's eight, because when she's 18, I won't be able to get away with that, you know. But Jacob, he met his match with Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban was just as wily as Jacob was. Uncle Laban tricked him, and when he went to get married, after seven years, he was so excited. It's a wedding. It's what he's worked for seven years. And he goes through the ceremony, gets married, and of course, I guess the, the bride's face is covered, as is our tradition in, in some ways, and perhaps even, even more severely covered at that point, because how do you get through a whole ceremony and realize you married the wrong person? I don't know how this works. But sometime after it was over, Jacob finds out that he did not marry Rachel, but instead... His father-in-law slash uncle Laban had tricked him and he had married Rachel's less desirable older sister, Leah. You say, well, pastor, you're taking a lot of liberty with the word of God saying she's less desirable. Read your Bible. It says she was not fair to look upon. Just telling you what the Bible says. Besides that, why did his, her dad have to trick somebody to get her to make, get married? <laughs> Jacob says, you know, what's up with that, uncle? Laban said, well, you know, she's the oldest and she has to get married first. But if you work another seven years, I told you, Jacob met his match with this fella. Then you can marry Rachel also. Here's point number two. Sometimes God gives us a victory and we cannot recognize it. We think it is a defeat when in fact it's an invisible win. Jacob may have thought he was getting ripped off. But Rachel had trouble having children and Leah was as fertile as an Idaho potato. Leah popped out kids like M&M's. It was unbelievable. So though Jacob may not have realized it, God gave him another win. He knew he needed it. Rachel had some issues. She may have been pretty, but she had some issues. She had a hard time being honest. She was a thief. She did not love the same God that Jacob loved, and she had some issues. But Leah was loyal. Leah was faithful. Leah gave 
Jacob ten sons. And without Leah, you don't have the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the two tribes of Israel. And when it came time for Jacob to die, he said, bury me with Leah. There's times when you think you got ripped off and you don't realize it, but God has given you a victory. He's given you a win, and you don't even realize it. Oh, I feel a pastoral spirit coming on me right now. If God's given you a spouse that loves God and is a good wife or a good husband and a good parent and loves to come to church, you're never going to replace them with anybody on television, no Hollywood model, nobody in a magazine. You ought to be thankful every day. God has given you a victory and you don't even realize it. In fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you're like me, you got something and somebody that you don't even deserve. But God lets you win. God somehow just loves you so much that he gave you a prize. But Jacob still had this father-in-law to deal with. Even though now he's family, he's got all these grandkids. Laban is still messing with him. Changed his wages ten times. And not for the better either. Every time Laban would try to rip Jacob off, God would bless him. That's how God is. He's the ultimate equalizer. He'd try to pay Jacob less by saying, now your pay is going to be, back then, you know, their wealth was determined by the amount of cattle and all this that they had. He said, your pay is going to be the spotted calf, you know, because every once in a while there'd be a spotted calf born. Most of them, you know, were up, but every once in a while you get a spotted calf. And Laban said, you know what? You're going to get paid this way. Every spotted calf, you know, he's thinking one in a hundred will be spotted. That's going to be what you get, Jacob, for all your hard work. Because after 14 years, guess what? He's still working for his father-in-law. He works another six years. And ten times he's messing up his wages, trying to trick him. But guess what God does? God determines that all the calf are going to be spotted. So a whole bunch of calves, they all came out spotted, 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 spotted. I'm going to tell you what, you can take a man or a woman of God, you can put them in an adverse environment, you can put them in a place where the boss is not being fair, and God said, I'm still going to bless them. You're going to win. It don't matter what environment you put them in. You take a young person, they can be in a secular environment, they can be in a public school system, and God is still going to bless them everywhere they go. Their grades are blessed. They have influence. Woo, hallelujah. So he said, all right, we're not going to do this spotted calf business no more. I'm losing all the... So he said, from now on, you're going to get all the calves that are born with rings. They were really rare. Rings? Yeah, that's a spot that goes all the way around the body. Guess what happened? 
born with rings. You ought to read about it. They are all born. I mean, it looked after a while. Here was Laban with all his wealth, all his cattle. And here was little Jacob. And after a while, this side over here was growing. And this little side over here was getting smaller and smaller. He kept trying and trying and trying. Finally, Jacob talked to his wives and said, you know, I feel like I need to go back to the homeland, my family and all. And they said, we're with you. And God's blessed you and all these cattle. And Jacob's like, it's totally been God because I didn't have any control over it. But I feel like God's calling me home now. It's time for us to go back. And they said, we're with you. We're with you, honey. So they all go. They go back to the homeland. They leave at night. Jacob don't trust Laban. He figured he'd try to trick him out of something on his way out of town. <laughs> so they left at night. Boy, I tell you what. Laban found out about it. Woo, he was hot. He'd lost his daughters. He'd lost all of his grandkids. Boy, I could just imagine what he was saying about that old son-in-law, Jacob. Left in the middle of the night. Took all the cattle. Took all my family. Laban spent seven days chasing him down. Seven days. And the night before Laban was to catch up with Jacob, God came to Laban in a dream. And he said, I got to call your attention. I can't say it any better than the way the Bible does. So if you got a chance to put it up there, Genesis 31, 24. And God came to Laban the Syrian. I like that the Bible threw that in there. And God came to Laban, the Syrian. That's like saying Castro, the communist. <laughs> the Bible is identifying Laban right there as not being of the children of Israel. Laban, the Syrian. He came to him in a dream by night. And he said, now take heed that thou speak not to Jacob, either good or bad. Now let me break this down for you because I know this is Bible language. Take heed says, you better not touch him. You talk about fire and fury. They ain't nobody got more than that than God of heaven and earth. You don't believe that? Just ask the folks on the bottom of the Dead Sea that used to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's got fire and fury. He said to Laban, you better not touch him. In fact, I want to go one step further. Don't even talk to him. Don't say nothing bad to him. Don't say nothing good to him. I like that. <laughs> Here's the next point. God doesn't need the enemy's permission to give you a blessing. See, God doesn't even, he doesn't just say, don't hurt him. Don't speak negatively to him. He says, don't even speak anything good to him. Because this blessing is going to come from me, not from you. And I can do it all by myself. Let me tell you something. God can bless you. He doesn't need your boss's help. He can bless you with or without your boss. 
I say he can bless you with or without your boss. You may have a boss that's giving you fits, but God's got a win that is coming your way. He is working on the other side. He may or may not be working on the boss's heart. He may just be working with his provincial power to give you a blessing that's unexplainable. You say, I don't even, I wish we had testimony service this morning. There'd be a whole bunch of people that could say, I don't know how it worked, but everybody on my job got fired, but they doubled my salary. There's people in this audience this morning that have testified to that very fact before. You know what it's like when the doctors told you, there's nothing we can do for you. But God said, I've got all healing power, and by my stripes you are healed. And he gave you a win, and you're still here today with strength. Worshiping God. We are victorious. Don't let nobody control your morality by hanging a paycheck over your head. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Which was the biblical way. Remember I told you that's how they measured wealth. That's the biblical way of saying... He owns more than you and I can even imagine. All the silver and the gold and every mine. God is, God doesn't have any problem blessing you and I. We like to measure things, you know, but God owns it all. And just like a chess game, God is setting you up for a win. You may not see it yet. But the pieces are being moved around. Laban the next morning got up and overtook Jacob. You'd think he didn't even hear what was in the dream because when he finally took Jacob and all of his men, they came around and captured them all. Laban said, what did you think you were doing? Going out of here with my daughters and grandsons and not even giving me a chance to say goodbye to them. Did you take them away like captives by the sword? He says, if you'd have told me, I would have thrown you a big going away party. You read it. He said, we would have had singing and dancing and laughter. We'd have had that DJ come down from Mount Gilead, that comedian that could make his voice sound like sheep fighting. We would have had a party, man. But you left. Jacob was probably thinking, you had 20 years, pops, to do something nice. And then Laban says, it is in the power of my hand to do you harm. But your God visited me last night and told me not to even speak bad to you. Not only can I not hurt you, I can't even engage in any smack talk because God your God he's identified him as your God said I can't even speak anything bad to you Jacob said I've worked for you for 20 years 14 years for your two daughters and six years for these cattle Jacob said in the day the drought consumed me and by night the frost consumed me and sleep departed from mine eyes Laban said fine but why did you steal my God's Jacob said, I didn't steal all your little idols. Jacob must have been thinking to himself, why would I take your gods when I serve Jehovah, the living God? 
I'd like to just declare something today into the spirit world. And if you want to listen in, you're welcome to. Why do you think we would sell a living God that has healed us and delivered us for some idol of this world? I say to every evil spirit, there is no God like Jehovah God. He has all power in heaven above and in earth beneath, and there is none like unto him. Jacob said, I don't have your little idols. <laughs> Laban, these two don't trust each other. He said, well, then can I search your tent? Sure. Knock yourself out. Jacob doesn't know that his wife, Rachel, remember I told you she had some issues? He, he didn't know that his wife, Rachel, had stolen them. Because she still had an affinity for that lifestyle. Boy, they searched everywhere. They couldn't find them little idols. But when they search Rachel's tent, she hides them under all the camel gear. And then she sits on top of it. And all Laban's men come, excuse me, Miss Rachel, i got to look around in here. And, you know, your dad's got us looking around. And she said, oh, yeah, no problem. She said, I'd stand up, but it's not our custom to do that. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's sitting on top of all the stolen items. They look and look and look. They take the whole place apart. Finally, they come back Laban. They say, there's just, there's just no idols here. I mean, we've looked everywhere. We can't find them. They never do find them. And here's what's interesting about this. Because in every other place in the Bible, when something is stolen that is not of God, they always found it. But not here. God lets Jacob win rather than revealing Rachel's sin. Why? Glad you asked. <laughs> Point number four. God may give you a little victory so he can win the bigger prize. <laughs> God may give you a little victory so he can win the bigger prize. It wasn't that many years ago when my wife and I were on an anniversary trip up in the mountains of Colorado and it was snowing outside. The hotel had this big fireplace and big overstuffed leather chairs and hot chocolate and a chessboard told my wife how I used to enjoy playing chess with my father when I was a boy and when I started beating him he quit playing me after a while <laughs> she said I've never played chess and I said well I can show you and I I started showing her what all the pieces do and so forth and after a while she said let's play a game and we played a game and I won and just like brother Kristoff she set those pieces right back up on the board and said let's play again and we played again, and I won again. And she set those pieces right back up on the board. We played the third time. And after the third time, she started crying. I said, uh-oh, that's not good. We're on our anniversary trip. The next time she started setting the pieces up, there was a little more force, and they were like, They were landing like with a thud and stuff. 
I said, honey, what's the matter? She said, I don't like to lose. I said, well, honey, you're just learning the game. I've played chess all my life. You're just learning. The more you play, the better that you'll get. And there's programs and there's these computer programs. You can play the computer. And if you just work at it, you'll get really... She said, never! And she has been true to her word. We have never played chess since that day in that hotel. A couple years after that, we were down in the Amazon with Brother DeMerch and our, our good friend, missionary friend that was missionary down there for 52 years. God love him. He passed earlier this year. We were telling him this story. And we were laughing. And we were telling the story about playing chess. And he looked at me and he said, David, David, when are you going to learn to let your wife win? I said, well, I thought that was just patronizing her. I didn't think that would be the right thing. Oh, you've got a lot to learn, son. He was so disappointed in me. I learned a valuable lesson that day. Sometimes you may have to forfeit a smaller contest in order to win the more important contest. She can win at chess. I just want to win her. I was talking to my sons the other day about what it means to finish strong. We were using Bible quizzing as an example of how you know you can be winning the entire game and you can lose the whole match in the last three questions. And I said, you know, in life, just like a quiz game, you have to win in the end. That's what champions do. They win in the end. I didn't even realize that my eight-year-old daughter, Sophia, was listening. She piped in and she said, and I'll tell you this right now. Life is a more important game than Bible quizzing. But if there is anybody that understands this principle, it is Jesus. He let them win at the crucifixion so he could win at the resurrection. Oh, hallelujah. He let them win at the Garden of Gethsemane so that he could win at the Garden Tomb. He let them win in Pilate's court so that he could win in heaven's court. He let Jacob win even though his wife had stolen idols to false gods. Why? Because he had bigger fish to fry. He was working on a nation. He was working on a lineage from whence the Messiah will come. Ladies and gentlemen, he will let you win so that he can win you. I said he will let you win. So that he can win you. Was it God's will for Balaam to take money from a heathen king? To try and curse the children of Israel? Of course not. Three times Balaam said, can I go, Lord? And the Lord said, no, no. Finally, he said, go. You win. He will let you do what is in your heart. The Bible says that he will give you the desires of your heart. That may not be his desires for you. But he will give you the desires of your heart. In the end, Balaam can't curse the children of Israel. The only thing that comes out of his mouth is blessings. And in the end, Jacob is wrestling with God in the form of a man. Now, how are you going to win a wrestling match with God? Point number five. 
What you see as a defeat, God sees as a win. It was this theophany presence of God that declared that Jacob had prevailed. But I think if you would have interviewed Jacob or any of his family after this long night, I doubt any of them would say that Jacob won. Because Jacob came away from this fight limping. For the rest of his life, he bore the scars of this battle. But he also carried the blessing from that battle. He got his birthright, ladies and gentlemen, in that battle that night. He got his deliverance from fear in that battle. He got his identity changed in that battle. You may be going through a battle right now, but God's going to let you know that you are a child of God and no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You think you lost. Because of the mistakes that are in your past. You think that you're paying the price for wrong choices. You're carrying some scars from battles that you think you lost. But I've come today to tell you that God sees it different. That battle brought you to church. That battle brought you to the foot of the cross. Yes, he could have taken you out. He could have taken me out as my car flipped end over end, being hit by a drunk driver on I-75. He didn't have to take us out. He could have just taken off the protection. When everything came to rest and me without a seatbelt still in a car that had creamed end over end two and a half times, landed upside down, flattened. And me without a scratch, not even going to the hospital, not even sore. He let me win. Because he got his eyes on a bigger prize. And then as I sat there and could hear the sirens coming in the distance... I heard the Lord speak to my heart and say, I saved your life because you're going to preach the gospel all over this world. He had his eyes on a bigger prize. He had his eyes on people in Haiti and people in Zambia and people in Malawi and people in Palm Bay that would find out that there's a God that loves them in spite of their past. He had his eyes on your redemption. He had his eyes on your salvation. He had his eyes on a new identity for you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a chosen generation. You're not who this world says you are. You are who your creator, your designer, your healer, your redeemer says you are. you stand to your feet this morning. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place.
You know how Jacob won? Early in the text, it says that when God saw that he prevailed not, he touched the hollow of his thigh and he said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. He won because he would not let go. This is my final point this morning. You win by simply not letting go. You may have been knocked down. You may have been busted. You may have been bruised and left disgusted. But if you'll take a hold of the horns of the altar and say, I'm not going to let go until you bless me, you're going to win, my friend. I said, you're going to win. You're going to win. The battle that you thought you lost, you are winning because you refuse to let go of the nail-scarred hands that died for your sins. The devil can throw everything at you that he's got in his arsenal. But if you just hang on, if you just hang on, God's going to let you win. Not that you deserved it. But because he has his eyes on a bigger prize, he sees you in a white robe coming down the streets of gold. He sees you, a redeemed man or woman, saved from your sins. As a part of that bride, the redeemed of the Lord, he sees you taking your crown off your head and throwing it before the throne and saying, holy, holy, holy. So yeah, he may give you a few wins. There's some things that he probably could have revealed that he didn't. He let you win that one. What he wanted you to know is that if you'll just hold on, in spite of a lifetime of mistakes and wrong choices, there's a God that'll let you win so that he can win you. I feel the presence of God here today. Would you lift your hands if you're comfortable doing that? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. You could have taken us out a long time ago, God, but you let us win. You let us win so that we would be here today. You gave us those small victories. So that we would have an opportunity, Lord. To stand before you with our arms and our hands lifted towards you. Say thank you, Jesus. I wonder this morning, is there people that are in this audience that you want to just step out from where you're standing and come down to this altar? I wonder if you would just lift your hands and say, Lord, I've been running long enough. You've been kind. You've been merciful. You've been patient. You've been long-suffering, God. But I come here today, Lord, to stand in your presence and to say, I'm not going to let go, Lord. I'm not going to let go of the horns of the altar. I'm not going to let go of those nail-scarred hands. 
come to confess that I need you more today than I did yesterday. Oh, that's beautiful. Just make your way down. People are still coming down the aisles. Just make your way down. we got a few minutes this morning. I, I want you to stand here in the presence of God right now. I wonder if you'd lift your hands and say, God, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. It doesn't matter what may come, what may go. I'm going to get a firm grip on your grace, and I'm going to hang on to it with all of my heart. I'm going to give my heart and my life to you, Lord. That's it. Cleanse me, Lord. Forgive me of every sin. Everything that I've done, God, that's not been pleasing to you. I leave it at this altar, Lord. And I say thank you for giving me another chance. I thank you for every scar because it brought me to this point. I thank you, Lord, for every correction. I didn't understand it at the time, but I thank you for it, Lord. This is your people. These are your Jacobs, God. This is your church, Lord. You are our God and we are your people. We come against every spirit of fear. Every spirit of doubt and uncertainty. God, we wrap our arms around you today. Pour out a blessing upon your people, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, that's beautiful. Let there be a praise come out of your mouth. That's it. Lift your hands and your voice. Come on, let it come deep down in your spirit. Oh, I bless the name of Jesus. You're so good, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
forever. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Your kindness is forever. Kindness, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Your goodness is forever. Oh, yes, Jesus. Forever. I'd like for you to take the hand of the person you're standing next to. Those of you that are in the altar, those of you that are in the pew, I want us to pray for one another right now. I want us to get a grip, not only on God, but on the body of Christ. Say, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go. That's it. Let's pray for one another right now. In the name of Jesus. A threefold cord is not easily broken. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Strengthen our grip on you. Strengthen our grip on one another. You are my strength and my song, Lord. Yes, in the name of Jesus. I pray the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon that person. That's it. Yes, in the name of Jesus. I pray a blessing upon their marriage and upon their children and upon their home. Let no weapon formed against them prosper. Hide them in the shadow of the Almighty. In the cleft of the rock. Oh, that's it. Let the Spirit speak. Let the Spirit speak. Yes, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, yes, Lord.
hallelujah. How many of you can raise your hand right now and say you feel the presence of God? Hallelujah, hallelujah. We don't have a formal point of dismissal. You can pray as long as you want to. But there is something I'd like for us to do. Before we leave this morning, I'd like for us, by the declaration of our voice, to declare into this atmosphere that God is a victorious God. And that every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. I wonder if you'd lift your voice right now in a cacophony of praise all over this building. Would you shout unto him with the voice of triumph? You are good. You are mighty. You are holy. You are victorious. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are mighty and holy. Well, thank you, Lord. Turn around and give your neighbor a high five. Amen. Tell him you're on the winning side. You're on the winning side. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.